Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> ah, hello there. So wonderful to see you back at Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and today we've got a very curious item. If you'll look over here, we often don't keep large items such as this out on the showroom floor, but I made a special exception because I knew you were stopping by today. This baby grand piano may look benign to the untrained eye, but it has a haunted, even horrifying past, full of betrayal, forsaken love, and even death. But as we often see here at Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, sometimes even death is not the end. And therein lies the lifeblood of today's episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. So let's pull out the kinetoscope and take a look at the new film... Lisa Frankenstein. So Lisa Frankenstein was a movie that was kind of on my radar as I was doing my preparation for the new year and what movies and TV series were going to be coming out in 2024. And I actually first saw the trailer for Lisa Frankenstein. Uh, my brother-in-law and I went to see Night Swim, and that was one of the trailers at the beginning of the movie. So uh, right off the bat, I was like, oh, this seems like it could be really intriguing because it delves into that nostalgia of the 80s and it almost felt like it was a bit of a, a parody or even go so far as to say a satire of the 80s. It has an 80s teen rom-com vibe to it, but also very much a, a horror story vibe to it, playing loosely off the Frankenstein story. And I thought to myself as I'm watching this trailer, this looks like it could be either really good or it's going to be really so-so. So I was really excited when I heard this was out in theaters, so I went to watch it, and I'll be right up front with you, I really love this movie. We're going to talk about it a little bit in non-spoilery terms, and then we're going to get into some spoilers, because I really want to delve in to what I thought about this movie. So First and foremost, if you haven't watched Lisa Frankenstein, you need to go see it because it really delves into a lot of different genres and vibes. You have a lot of different feels to this movie. And it's funny because it's one of those movies where it draws on a lot of inspiration, whether it be from other 80s, like I said, teen rom-com movies, whether it delves into some more darker comedy from the teen comedy from the 80s. It has a lot of inspiration, but it still feels fresh and new. And it does look stunning. It is a stunningly visual movie that I really just enjoyed watching from start to finish and it delved into the 80s this play takes place in 1989 and it felt to me not like your typical 80s nostalgia trip movie because so many 80s nostalgia movies right now spend so much time pointing things out oh look at this over here remember this 
Oh, look at it there. See, remember the Rubik's Cube? We've got one in our movie. Remember the Michael Jackson beat it jacket? There's a guy over there wearing that. And not that that's not fun. And not that that's not enjoyable. Because there have been several movies and TVs series that uh, have played off the 80s and have those little nostalgia bombs that that go off from time to time, usually like every 10, 15 minutes, it seems. And, and those are fun and enjoyable. As a kid born in the 70s and grew up through the 80s, and high school and college in the 90s, I enjoy that sort of stuff. That sort of stuff is fun, but it can be a little much at times, and it really takes away from the movie sometimes, where you're you're trying to get into the story, and then you're like, oh, you know, I, I know people, thanks to the South Park guys, always kick around the term member berries, but that's really what it is. It is, oh, remember this? Oh, remember that? And this movie didn't do that. It was set in the 80s. It felt very much of the 80s, but you really spend your time in the world of the 80s and not just, like I said, a nostalgia trip. It wasn't a trip down memory lane. I mean, it did do that, I think, in the music that they chose. The needle drops that they chose for this were very much uh, songs from the 80s. The movie had a look and feel of the 80s, but you didn't spend your whole time looking at, oh, there, remember slap bracelets? Oh, remember the, you know, there, there's a couple little reference here and there about uh, the girl wearing her jelly shoes. Uh, I remember my sister having those when we were kids, but it really didn't spend a whole lot of time showing you the things you should remember from the 80s. It was just sit there. You were in the world of the 80s, and that, that's one of the things I really enjoyed about this. And also the name, Lisa Frankenstein is a play off the Lisa Frank line. Uh, if you're not familiar with Lisa Frank, it's something where I didn't know the name. My wife actually, when we watched the trailer, I, I showed her the trailer because I thought this is, might be something she might like and, and she thought it looked interesting. After the fact, she said, oh, I'll watch it with you when it comes out on streaming. But she was the first one to say to me, oh, is that reference to Lisa Frank? I was like, Lisa Frank, I don't I don't remember that. And then we looked it up and she was trying to explain it to me and I had to see it to believe it. But but Lisa Frank was a line of stickers and girl tchotchkes from back in the 80s with hearts and rainbows and unicorns and butterflies and puppies and kittens and, and all that sort of stuff. And once I saw it, I was like, oh yeah, I remember seeing that stuff. I think my sister had some of that stuff. I don't remember it by name, by brand name, but but it is a play off of that. And then, of course, Frankenstein, which, which I really enjoyed that. Uh, my wife and I were talking about it after we watched the trailer, and she, she brought up, she's like, I really hope it's set in the 80s, and that's why they call it that. And I rushed right home to record this episode. My wife's not even home, and I can't wait till she gets home so I can let her know that, yes, uh, it was set in the 80s, and more than likely a very... Uh, deliberate play off the Lisa Frank thing. But I don't really want to go into too much in the non-spoiler section because there's a lot of references uh, to other movies that I want to talk about that may or may not give things away. There's a lot of things with the characters that I really don't want to give too much away. But I will say the acting in this was just spot on. You had Catherine Newton, who plays Lisa Swallows. She is the Lisa Frankenstein of this movie. And if you don't remember her, I mean, she's done several things. 
uh, several movies, Paranormal Activity 4, she was in Freaky, she's done a good bit of TV, but probably the thing uh, most people may have seen her in, the majority of people, because uh, even though the movie didn't get a lot of good buzz, uh, a lot of people did see it, but Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, she plays Cassie Lang in that, and we're going to be seeing her more in the MCU, and I'm excited about that because she's a really good young actress. But I really loved her in this role because this role is so different from that Cassie Lang character. Uh, it was really great to see her in this. She plays this character who's kind of uh, lovelorn, she's kind of the oddball. She's had a, a rough past a rough recent past that has kind of made her a bit of an outcast but as fate would have it she finds love in in an odd and not terribly right place but she does a fantastic job with this she really plays into the emotion of being that outcast being that person that has had that traumatic experience in their life and just doesn't seem to fit in and then when she makes the the switch the personality flip to somebody that's more outgoing, more aggressive, and more uh, maybe a little bit of a killer instinct. I mean, you see this stuff in the trailer, so it's not a huge spoiler or anything like that. Uh, she does make that transition quite well. And both versions of her are, are very believable and very enjoyable to watch. Uh, the other real standout for me, Cole Sprouse. If you don't know him, I mean, he's been in a ton of things. Uh, most recently, he plays Jughead in the Riverdale series. But I knew the name sounded familiar. And then when my wife pointed out that he played the little kid, or actually he and his twin brother played the little kid in Big Daddy with Adam Sandler back in 1999. Uh, I was like, oh, oh my God, he's in that. Oh, that's cool. I, I'm really interested because I haven't watched much of his stuff. I know he's done some Disney stuff with the Cody and Zach show or, or whatever the hell that stuff's called. Nothing I ever watched, but you know, you can't be in the midst of pop culture and not hear these things. Uh, I've never watched Riverdale, which I've, I've always wanted to check it out and see what it's like. But to see him as an adult now from, from knowing him from back in the Big Daddy movie, I was really excited about that. And he was a standout in this for having a character that essentially doesn't talk. It is very reminiscent of another actor who does a really good job with characters like that. And I'll talk about that a little more in the spoiler section. But he was really good. Uh, so many other great actors in this. Carla Gugino plays uh, the stepmother Janet. She does, you know, she kind of plays that uh, bitchy stepmom, the a bit of an antagonistic role. Uh, Joe Crest plays Lisa's father. It's essentially the same character he plays in Stranger Things when he plays Mike's dad, that kind of aloof, disconnected dad who's just, he's just kind of there, no, oh, whatever, and that's great, and kind of typecast as that role, but uh, but he does a good job with it. And Liza Soberano plays Taffy, uh, Lisa's stepsister. And I, I like her character because she really plays against type. In, in another movie, or even back in the 80s movie, the stepsister who is the uh, popular, pretty cheerleader who has the oddball stepsister, she would be painted as the antagonist. And she would be picking on and bullying the, the Lisa character in another movie. But in this, they really paint her as, you know, she is kind of annoying and very superficial and very, hey, look at me. But 
it's done in a, a bit more of a charming way. And she is very, uh, the Taffy character is very supportive of Lisa and is just trying to help her and is trying to be a good stepsister. And I like how that character played against type. But that's all I'm going to say about uh, the characters and, and, and the story. We're going to dive into this. But if you like a good team rom-com from the 80s mixed with a bit of horror, uh, this is really the way to go. It's funny without being over-the-top comedy. It's horror without being too over-the-top. But it goes places that you're not necessarily expecting. And it's full of those, oh my god, moments. It's full of those awe moments. It's full of not knee-slappy type of comedy, but it's got some some fun like subtle slapstick. It's got some fun, subtle comedy. It's more uh, of the situation that they're in and the reactions to those situations than it is set-up joke punchline type of comedy. And it was really an enjoyable, enjoyable watch. This is definitely a movie that I can't wait to watch it again when it comes out on streaming uh, so my wife can see it. So go check out Lisa Frankenstein. Uh, check it out in theaters now. You know, you don't really often get uh, original things being done. This is definitely not a movie that was homogenized by the big studio. So many movies these days get screen tested and rewritten until you know they're they're trying to please everybody and they end up pleasing nobody. And this is definitely a movie that saw a vision uh, with Zelda Williams and Diablo Cody, who we'll talk about those, the director and the writer of this in the spoiler section. Uh, but they had a vision and they executed that vision. And if you want directors and writers doing different things and not doing the same shit over and over again that you get out of a lot of Hollywood these days, then go support movies like this. If you like horror, if you like a, a fun romantic comedy horror, this is a movie that I think you're going to like. And I hope that the theater I went to see this in is an indicator because a lot of times I'll go watch movies. I'll go watch the matinee on a Saturday because that's when I have time to go watch a movie. And also, it allows me to watch a movie. You know, sometimes big blockbusters are fun to watch with a room full of people. But sometimes, you know, I don't want the bullshit of people talking and people on their cell phones. So I like to go to a matinee where it's just me, usually one or two other people. And you still get people talking. You still get people on their cell phones, but just not as much. But I went to this afternoon matinee on a Saturday and there were probably about eight women in there. Uh, I was the only guy watching this movie. So I, I hope the ladies show up for this because I think uh, this is going to be the type of movie. If you're a, a female who likes, uh, like I said, rom-coms, you like horror, you like a little bit of comedy, uh, I think you're going to really enjoy this. And, and bring your boyfriends or bring your husbands to it because I think they'll enjoy it as well because I know I certainly did. So go check out Lisa Frankenstein, then come back and hear my thoughts on this movie. But uh, until then... If you have watched it or you don't care about spoilers, we are going to head into some spoiler territory. So the basic gist of this movie, and I probably could have talked about this in the spoiler-free section, but it's about this girl, Lisa. Her mom was killed. You know, when they had the Taffy character telling the story about how Lisa's mom was killed by an axe murderer, I thought it was just a wind-up for a joke or her being... You know, it was kind of early in the movie and you weren't sure what kind of character Taffy was. You're expecting her to be the bitchy, bully stepsister that's, 
you know, spreading rumors about her her stepsister Lisa, and it wasn't that at all. It, it was legit that this Lisa character, her mother was killed by an axe murderer, and then her father and Taffy's mother end up getting together, making this makeshift family. But Lisa has this trauma, and it really affects her. It kind of makes her a bit of an outcast. She's considered weird. She likes to hang out in a cemetery. She pines over the bust of this dead man who's from the like Victorian era. And as fate would have it, he comes back to life and comes out of the grave. And the romantic comedy horror ensues. And I think one of the things I thought was pretty cool about this is the fact that it's called Lisa Frankenstein. It is kind of playing off the basic premise of Frankenstein. Uh, she has to, you know, he's missing a hand. He's missing an ear. I don't think they ever really go into detail. That's another aspect of this movie that I really liked uh, is the fact that things just are because they are. They don't spend a lot of time trying to explain things. And I think that's where you get the fact that this wasn't a studio poured over movie because you have big studios wanting, like I said earlier, to please everybody. So they'll go over test audience and they'll force rewrites upon rewrites. And a lot of times things, they want them explained so the audience understands what happens. And a lot of times, it's stuff that doesn't need explained at all. I mean, these studios and these executives really do think that the audience is dumb as a box of rocks. And I'm not going to disagree. Sometimes audiences can be pretty dumb. But for the most part, yeah, we get it. You know, we've got at least an average IQ and we understand what's going on. And even if we don't understand it, we don't always need things explained to us. That's one of the beautiful things about this movie is it never feels like it needs to explain anything to you. It just allows you to enjoy what's happening unapologetically. And a lot of the horror of this movie comes from this notion that the creature, played by Cole Sprouse, he has he's a hand missing, he has an ear missing, and he needs body parts to put back on. And it was such a fun bit of this movie is them killing Carla Gugino, killing this other character, getting the body parts that he needs, putting him in this broke down tanning bed that electrocutes you essentially to bring him back to life. Because every time he gets a new body part, she puts him in this and gives him a zap and he's looking more and more human. The body parts start to work and he's looking less and less dead with each shock that he gets. And I love how they don't feel the need to explain why or how or any of that. And I think that's what made it fun is you weren't bogged down in the minutia of why this is or how this works. You're just allowed to enjoy the ridiculousness of it. And that's what made this movie so enjoyable is watching all of this unfold with these two actors, Catherine Newton and Cole Sprouse playing these characters and watching it all unfold because these two actors did such a fantastic job. Catherine Newton, like I said earlier, just did a wonderful job with playing this, this character you really empathized with. And you felt bad for her because she was this loner that just felt on her own and all of the unrequited love that, that comes with a character like that. Then once this creature, play, played by Cole Sprouse, comes into her life, he starts instigating, I don't know if that's the right word, starts kind of pushing her towards 
something different. She becomes more confident. She starts dressing different. She does her hair different. She starts wearing sunglasses. She gets a, a more confident attitude. And we'll talk about some of the ways that parallels with some of those movies from the 80s. But she did a really good job with all of this. She was sympathetic when she needed to be. She was very borderline maniacal when she needed to be because when it came down to them killing people to get body parts for the creature, uh, you know, she had a wicked side to her and, and she played that so well and was was really enjoyable. And she has a really good comedic timing. Some of the jokes between her and the creature was were done really well. The writing was just fantastic with the whole movie, but the comedy was very subtle. It doesn't wasn't, like I said, knee slappy comedy. It wasn't set up joke punchline type of comedy. It was all very situational comedy where she is talking and having conversations with this character and this creature that doesn't speak and just some of the funny things that she bounces off of him and it's almost like she's having a conversation with herself and that really led to a lot of humor but then there are other styles of jokes that I thought were very funny uh the one I had to do everything I could to keep from busting out laughing because the Carlo Gugino character is Janet. And I suppose I should give you a little backstory. Uh, one of my favorite expressions that I do uh, purely to make my wife laugh, or at the very least to make her chuckle, is whenever something happens, whenever I drop something or do something wrong or something goes awry, and I want to say, damn it, I go, damn it, Janet playing off the Rocky Horror Picture Show. If you haven't seen that movie, go watch it. You'll get what I'm talking about. If you know, you know. And there was a scene where things are going awry and Lisa and the creature are up in her room and then all of a sudden she hears Janet coming in and the Lisa character blurts out, Damn it, Janet! And it just made me laugh that it was it was it's obviously a reference to Rocky Horror Picture Show. It can't not be, which is very much a playoff of Frankenstein, which is very much a playoff of of creating life. And I thought just a wonderful reference and so freaking hilarious. If for the sheer fact that I use that expression uh, more often than I'm sure my wife actually finds funny. But Catherine Newton, like I said, a wonderful job with this character really carried a lot of the comedy. She carried a little bit of the menace of this movie once they start going on a, a little bit of a murder spree. And she carried the emotion of this movie in, in the sympathy you feel for her as a, a girl who lost her mother in such a tragic way and, and being a loner and being a quote-unquote loser to all the kids at her school, the weirdo, the creep. Then when she starts to, to turn and, and get a little more attitude, she's still very sympathetic in that, you know, the unrequited love aspect you see her slowly falling for this creature but not realizing it again playing into more 80s uh, movie tropes that we'll talk about here in a brief minute i promise stick with me and then the tragic ending of all this where she essentially sacrifices herself because she has committed murder or at least been an accessory to murder and the only way to get out of it is to die 
And then, of course, that reveal at the end that the the creature has made the full transition back to human and has brought her back and is doing as such. She's all wrapped up in bandages, so it almost is like a playoff. Him being Frankenstein's monster, her being the mummy, was very uh, a fun little nod. I don't know if that's what they were going for, but that's how I took it and, and quite enjoyed that uh, universal monster nod there. But Cole Sprouse, uh, you know, Catherine Newton gets a lot of credit for for carrying this movie and so much of the emotional weight. But Cole Sprouse carried this movie in another way with such a unique performance and such a unique character. He plays the creature. They never really say what his name is, although they do allude to it being possibly Frankenstein with some wax rubbings that Lisa's done. I wasn't sure if that was just for the title sequence or if that was, but but they do no- make a nod to that. And at the very end, they do this kind of almost makeshift wedding And if she takes his name, being his bride, she would be Lisa Frankenstein and no longer Lisa Swallows. So it it all kind of ties together in a very fun way. But this character that Cole Sprouse plays, the creature, it has a really cool story. And they do its backstory all through this interesting shadow animation. It's almost like that animation where it looks like paper cutouts of, of characters and you see their silhouette playing out all of these scenarios and you see this story of him being a pianist and a woman falling for him because of that and their love and then she starts to fall for a guitarist ain't that ain't that the case it's always the singers and the guitarists that get all the ladies. But anyway, uh, and of course, it, it goes through his demise with this lost love and him ultimately dying. And that's where we meet him in the graveyard, where he inadvertently comes back to life during a lightning storm. Again, unapologetically not explaining how this works or why it happened, just that it happens. But Cole Sprouse as this character, once he comes back to life, does such a good physical performance that I was just in awe of the performance as I'm watching it on the screen because he does such a wonderful work in that kind of dead body coming back to life. And with each zap he gets in the tanning bed and his body starts to repair itself, he starts to move a little better and a little better as he's starting to look more and more human. But he does it all without speaking. His voice is the last thing he gets back. And we get that in that very last scene where he's on the park bench reading poetry to a a mending Lisa who's wrapped up in bandages. And aside from that physical body performance, uh, his whole character, uh, any emotion you get from it, and you get a lot of emotion from this character, it's all based on his facial expressions. He uses a lot of facial expressions, a lot of looks, a lot of particular movements and gestures to portray this character that doesn't really have any lines of dialogue until that very end other than just grunts and groans and a little, sometimes a syllable here or there. And Cole Sprouse really did a fantastic job with this character that reminded me. And we'll get into some of the inspiration, some of the homage, some of the films and directors that I think Diablo Cody and Zelda Williams drew from. But his character felt very much like Johnny Depp 
in Edward Scissorhands and Benny and June. That style of performing where you're not using your voice as an actor, but you're using your facial expressions and body language to express so much. And Cole Sprouse did a really good job with that. And that kind of leads directly into the next thing I wanted to talk about is there's so much inspiration for this movie that this movie felt like it drew from so much from the 80s and, and I suppose even beyond that. As I was thinking about this movie on the way home, it felt very much like a Tim Burton movie meets Heather's meets My Fair Lady because it did draw and, and really was in some regards a parody of a couple teen 80s rom-com tropes. Of course, you've got the trope where the girl or a guy kind of ignores their opposite sex best friend and that best friend is helping them try to get their crush and then of course at the very end the the guy or gal in question realizes that their guy or gal best friend was the the one for them all along it really kind of delved into that because you had uh, this this Lisa character pining over this guy who's kind of the cool AV guy with uh, the leather jacket. He looks like a bad boy, but he's not a bad boy because he's into poetry and movies and things like that. And she's pining over him and the creature is trying to help her get him. And he that's where he kind of spearheads her getting the new outfits, getting the new look, getting the new attitude which still doesn't do the trick. And it also plays off the, and parodies the 80s team rom-com trope where the girl is the outcast. She's the loser. She's the one everyone thinks is ugly or uh, dorky. And then she puts on new clothes and gets a new hairdo, a new attitude. And all of a sudden, everyone thinks she's hot. It really played into that, which was, it was fun in the way that they did it because she really didn't change much other than dressing in her stepsister's, uh, you know, sluttier clothes. But I think that may have been kind of the joke there. But it did have that My Fair Lady kind of vibe to it, where you have uh, the guy trying to to make a lady out of somebody. You've got the creature trying to make a, you know, whatever out of Lisa, make her cool or make her desirable to this this guy she's crushing on. And then they realize they love each other. But apart from, like I said, the rom-com stuff and apart from the comedy stuff, this movie really did have some interesting horror scenes. I mean, it had some blood and it had a little bit of gore. Not a ton. I mean, this is a PG-13 film, but it really pushes the boundaries of PG-13, I think. It's not a very safe PG-13 by any stretch of the imagination. It delves into some really uh, uncomfortable territory. I mean, you've got the Carla Gugino character, uh, Janet Swallows, who uh, she gets killed and it kind of spearheads the murder spree. Not that it's a very big murder spree, but uh, her death isn't very horrific. But then you have the kid that gets a little handsy and uh, borderline date rapey with Lisa during that party scene that gets his comeuppance. And his was 
was kind of a, a creepy scene where they chop off his hand. That's where the creature gets the, the hand that he's missing back. Of course, he gets the ear back from Carla Gugino. And there's a there's a bit at the end where Lisa decides that she loves the creature and the one that she wants to be with and realizes that is his winky-doo has apparently rotted off. So what do they do with bits of this creature that don't work? They replace it. And there's... Just one of the funniest scenes in this movie. Only funny because of the the song that they're playing, the fact that they do it in slow motion, the reaction shots. Uh, I know I had to do everything I could from bursting out loud. I know there was a, a girl, uh, a couple girls sitting a couple rows behind me. The one girl, I could hear one of the girls back there trying not to blurt out laughing. It was such a freaking funny scene, but ultimately resulted in the creature getting a brand new winky-doo. And you know what they did with that, folks? Sweet, sweet tenderness. Although it's very tasteful. Uh, you didn't see a thing. Uh, they actually went into like, there's a couple moments where you get a little bit of animation in the middle of this uh, that were quite uh, quite enjoyable, quite funny, quite whimsical. And, and therein lies another aspect that I enjoyed with this movie is the fact that it is a rom-com, a teen rom-com horror film that plays into 80s nostalgia. But this film knows exactly what it is and knows exactly what it wants to be. And the actors in this know exactly the type of movie that they're playing in. And they act accordingly. Carla Gugino is really giving it all she's got. And she's playing this character, Janet, in such a diabolical way that it fits this type of movie. This movie has the right amount of camp to it because it knows it's a parody off of 80s teen rom-coms it knows that it is a a bit of a a bit of a cheesy campy horror film and you have to chalk that up to the writing and directing which i think are two of the the main stars of this movie where you have this script written by diablo cody who uh, if you're not familiar with her work i mean she's done several things uh, most notably she wrote juno back in 2007 but for horror fans uh, she wrote jennifer's body back in 2009 she also did some uncredited script revisions on 2013's evil dead and she's a, a writer who got like a lot of notoriety for juno back in 2007 and then kind of i don't want to say fell off the map but i, I think you know some of the later projects while well, jennifer's body uh, a good film good horror film uh, I think some of her other works didn't quite live up to the standard that Juno set. And, and it feels like she kind of fell off the face of the earth uh, for all intents and purposes. Uh, I think this movie is a bit of a comeback for her because this movie is so well written and it's such an interesting story. And it's set in, in a wonderful time period that doesn't overdo playing off that time period. And the comedy in this is just golden. It's just fantastic. Not over the top. It's very subtle humor. 
but it is humor that is ingrained in the reactions between these these characters and interacting together. And she built these characters playing against some stereotypes, playing into other stereotypes, but I think for the most part trying to trying to keep these characters, you know, there's no real bad guy uh, outside of the Janet character. She's a bit of an antagonist and a bit of a bad guy, but uh, really, the characters never feel quite one note. And of course, you have a wonderful direction from Zelda Williams, uh, Robin Williams's daughter. Now, she's done quite a bit in terms of short films. She's done a ton of short films. She has done a ton of television and music videos. She's even done a bit of voice work for television. But I think this is her feature film, her feature-length directorial debut, and Zelda Williams just knocked this out of the park because she really understood this movie. I think that's one of the best accolades I could give this movie is that Diablo Cody and Zelda Williams got it. They understood the type of movie that they were making. Zelda Williams understood the type of movie that Diablo Cody wrote. And the direction of this film was just was just fantastic. The performances that Zelda Williams got out of Cody Sprouse in, in bringing this creature to life in the way that they did without any dialogue until the very end. It was just a wonderful performance that, you know, it, it is partly on Cole Sprouse and his performance, but, you know, you have a director that is uh, directing and getting this performance out of him. I, I think that is worth praise just in and of itself. Making this character work uh, when it probably shouldn't have worked is, is a credit to both the writing of this character, the direction of this character, and the portrayal of this character. And I think Zelda Williams had a really clear vision of what this movie was and, and needed to be and put that on the screen. And I also want to give credit to uh, cinematographer Paula, and I, I'm sorry if I butchered this last name, but Paula Huidobo. Uh, she was the cinematographer on this and just some beautifully shot scenes. The lighting in all of this was just wonderful. All those great 80s colors and the neons and the brightness, but uh, but they did have some scenes where it played against dark and light and a lot of really interesting shots in this movie that made it very visually pleasing to watch and very visually interesting. And also the music by Isabella Summers was phenomenal. I mean, the score to this was just so haunting and beautiful and a bit of melancholy, and it really matched that melancholy that you get with the uh, Catherine Newton character, Lisa, and, and the creature and their backstories and their star-crossed love. The score was just so hauntingly beautiful. And then it had a lot of really cool needle drops. Uh, of course, uh, you get it in the trailer, When in Rome song, The Promise. You get that early on in the movie. I swear to God, I, I think it probably started with Napoleon Dynamite and the end of that movie. But I have probably heard The Promise in more TV shows and movies and movie trailers. I've probably heard it more in those today within the past you know, 20 years then I actually heard that song on the radio back when it came out in 1987. But a lot of other really cool songs, a lot of pop songs from the 80s, a lot of the beginnings of alt-rock in the 80s. They had the Pixies, Wave of Mutilation, love that tune. Uh, a lot of really good songs in this movie as well. So 
ultimately, this was a really good movie. A lot better than I expected it. I don't think I had too many expectations going into this movie. You know, the trailer really made you understand, I think, the kind of movie you're getting into. And I know this movie is not going to be for everyone. It's going to grow a a cult-like following if it doesn't do well right away. I think this is the kind of movie that is going to grow on people and people are going to discover it and it's going to gain a following much like Heathers did back when it came out in 89 and gained a following through the 90s. This very much has a Heathers... Like I said, Heathers meets Tim Burton meets 80s teen rom-com vibe to it that is not going to be for everyone because I think people are going to go into this uh, expecting it to be one thing and getting another. It is a bizarre film. It is a weird film, uh, much in the way that Heathers was kind of a bizarre and weird dark comedy. It's not going to be slapsticky comedy. It's not going to be like going to a insert a popular comedian's movie. There's a dark comedy to it. There's a black humor to it. And it is going to be the kind of movie that uh, not everyone gets. Visually and aesthetically, I think people are going to maybe be a little put off at first. But I think if you, you understand the type of humor that you're getting, if you understand the camp and the 80s nostalgia that you're getting without being over the top 80s nostalgia if you understand that this is as I said uh, a very interesting mix of a lot of different mostly 80s influences that strikes a really good balance between the romance the comedy and the horror and beautifully done with stunning visuals I think you're gonna enjoy this movie and with Valentine's Day a couple days away from this uh, episode dropping, this is, I think, a great movie. Especially if one of you likes rom-coms, the other one likes horror. Uh, this is kind of like the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup of movies. If one of you likes one style, another likes another style, it's that wonderful mix of, hey, you got your peanut butter and my chocolate. No, you got your chocolate and my peanut butter. Uh, You got your horror in my rom-com. No, you got your rom-com in my horror. And I think uh, a perfect date movie for Valentine's Day. If you both love rom-coms and horror, this is perfect. If one of you likes the other and the other likes this, then I I think it's a good compromise. But definitely a fun movie. Uh, Regardless of whether you take your Valentine's on a date to see this or you're just watching it in general, a very fun movie. So I want to thank everyone for listening to my thoughts on Lisa Frankenstein. I encourage you, if you haven't watched watch this movie, go check it out now because like I said, you very rarely get something new and original out in the movie theaters these days. So much of it is just studio stuff that they're they're just regurgitating old things. And while this definitely plays homage to the 80s, it's definitely done in a, a different way, in a very enjoyable way. So go support movies like this. Uh, if you haven't gone out there and watched it, you know, this movie was only made for $12 million. So there's no reason why this movie shouldn't make this this money back and, and then some. And then that will give, you know, some of these studios pause to say, hey, you know what? Uh, movies like this can make it. We can start making movies like this instead of these bloated budget blockbusters that nobody ends up wanting to see because, like I said, they're so homogenized and so tested to the point where they they don't want to offend anybody so they don't entertain anybody. Support a movie like this and let the studios know that, hey, 
we, we can take a risk on some original ideas. So I want to thank everyone for listening to my thoughts on Lisa Frankenstein. You can check out more with Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop on our Facebook page and Instagram. Always posting about horror, fantasy, and science fiction, as well as our latest episodes. And no matter where you listen to this podcast, please leave a review. Five stars would be awesome, but whatever review you leave, we appreciate that. As always, follow, like, subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to it. That way you can stay on top of all the latest episodes that get dropped. And please share this podcast with anyone that you know that loves horror, fantasy, and science fiction. So until next time. Thank you for visiting Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. We hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Ha 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 ha.